Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And this evening, I'm really excited to have a very interesting guest named Ariel Vagosin. Ariel is a professional workshop facilitator, a sex educator, a relationship coach, a gender inclusivity trainer and consultant, and a performance artist, writer, and public speaker. Ariel is the founder of Gender Illumination and Gender Blender. These are organizations dedicated to creating safer spaces for trans and gender non-binary people. Ariel is also a founding member of the Sexual Liberation Collective and an educator at O School. Arielle's passionate about ending oppression, playing with pronouns, and creating communities across diverse cultural backgrounds. Welcome to the show, Arielle. Thanks. It's so great to be here. I'm super excited to be with you tonight. Awesome. So let's unpack some of the things that we talked about in this introduction. First of all, um, can you talk about what it means to be a gender inclusivity trainer and consultant? For sure. So a lot of people are actually not aware that gender exists outside of a binary context. A lot of people think that gender is just male or female, and people don't realize that there's a whole spectrum of gender, that there's people that exist like myself who identify as gender non-binary. What that means for me is I use terms like gender non-binary and gender queer for my identity. And what that means is that I see myself as neither male nor female. And I just want to say that biologically, there are also people that are neither male nor female, and that also gender is different from your biology. A lot of people conflate the concept of sex and gender into one thing. And in reality, your sex is one concept and your gender is another concept. And gender can be fluid. Gender can be a transitioning experience. Um, there's different kinds of gender. People might identify as cisgender, transgender, gender non-binary. And these words might be unfamiliar to some people or to other people they might be super familiar. The work that I do through gender illumination is to educate people about the gender spectrum and the multiple identities that exist around gender. And I also work to create safer spaces for people that identify as outside of the binary or people that identify as trans. Some people who are trans identify with inside of the binary context. And for me, it's important that there is inclusion and acceptance and equal rights for all people of all genders. And that's the work that Gender Illumination is doing, is creating spaces where people can be safe and seen and accepted. And we do this work in workplaces, in corporations, in nonprofits, in places of faith, in really any place that is it's needed. So schools, businesses, nonprofits, healthcare providers. The reality is that gender is way more expansive than people realize. And so we are coming and doing trainings and educational programs so that corporations can be inclusive and be accepting and creating safe workforce spaces and places. And we're also doing this for healthcare providers so that healthcare providers can have the resources that are needed for trans and gender non-binary people. And we're doing this in schools and places of faith 
so that your services, your rituals, your curriculum is actually inclusive to all peoples of all genders. And when this happens, when you create real places of inclusivity, you're actually increasing your diversity and increasing what's possible and capable and what you can produce in the world. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for doing that work. That's so awesome and necessary and for educating people. And I have to say that I'm probably more educated than the average bear, but I still have a few questions. So just to clarify, um, I understand people that are in a gender transitionary experience. Um, that's usually what we think of as transgender people. They're usually going through some kind of transition. But gender fluidity, does that mean that somebody might be feeling more masculine one day or in the morning and at night they feel more feminine and they have that freedom to kind of flow between the different ways of expression? Did I define that properly? Yes, so transgender is actually an umbrella term. And under the term transgender, that umbrella term is actually many different groups of people. So the concept of transgender is really anybody that is has a different gender identity than what they were assigned at birth. So right now we live in a society where when you're born, the doctor is assigning you and saying you're either male or female, even if that's not necessarily true or accurate. So rather than living mm-hmm. in a society where we say, young people, you get to grow up and you get to state your identity and you get to decide for yourself and we accept that and respond accordingly. Instead, we live in a society where it's like somebody else outside of your given body tells you what you are. So the concept of transgender Mm -hmm. really is as basic as you, you know, were given one gender marker by a doctor at birth and you do not fit into that category and you live your life um, in in a different category. So that means some people can identify as a trans woman, as a trans man, people who identify as non-binary also fit under this term of transgender because it's an umbrella term. And so what's mm-hmm. interesting about that is um, I actually think that that a non-binary, a non-binary person might have different needs than, say, someone who identifies as a trans man or a trans woman. And there's a lot of beauty in having an umbrella term because people can organize and work together to gain equality and have equal rights. But sometimes I think mm-hmm. when you have an umbrella term, you might miss some of the nuance. Right. So when you Mm -hmm, say, like, what is gender fluidity, gender fluidity is basically somebody that their gender does not exist as male or female. They, you know, it is like you could wake up and say, you know, right now I'm feeling more feminine. I'm feeling more masculine. I want to express in different ways. And fluidity is just acknowledging that within within us, there is oftentimes a multiplicity of gender. So for myself, it's way bigger than two categories. It's not that I. I'm both male and female. It's, I am both male and female and also so much more than that. So my understanding mm-hmm. of my own fluidity and my own gender is way bigger than just here's male, here's, here's female, and I'm someplace in between. I actually think I exist in a way that is bigger and beyond those two categories. Mm-hmm. Yes, and for, for someone like me who I've never really felt like I didn't fit into mainstream society with my gender. However, I have always had kind of what they call a tomboy kind of energy. You know, I played sports. I did all the things that the boys liked to do, although I don't look, I look feminine. Um, Hearing these terms and having acceptance around it gives me permission to express that part of myself and not feel like it's wrong. 
Exactly. That's the whole point of the work of gender illumination is it's illumination. A lot of people think I'm saying eliminate, but it's actually illuminate to shed light upon. And that's really Mm -hmm. the work that we're doing is that the more you create a space where everyone is welcome, the more people can even be expansive in their own identity. So if you have a, Mm -hmm. a space or a workplace or a church or a synagogue or a mosque or a temple where everyone is included and trans people are welcome and accepted and included and loved, that gives space for cis people to also be their full selves and to express themselves to their fullest, mm-hmm. which is powerful. Right. And that's, that's the point of doing this work. Uh-huh. And so for those that don't know, can you define what cis people means? Sure. As a, the, the concept of the word cisgender means that, as I was saying before, a doctor assigns you a gender at birth. So a cisgendered person identifies with the gender that they were assigned. Got it. Thank you. And um, gen- your gender and your, um, your sex are different, also different from sexual orientation, right? Yes. So can you talk These a little bit about... Because diff- Right, go ahead. I'm just going to explain that these are three different categories, sex, gender, sexuality. And obviously these categories, because you're one being and inside of you, these categories all interact. So you are having one. In reality, these things can be seen. There are actually different experiences. Sometimes things Mm -hmm. like get lumped together. And I think it's actually important that we understand the differences because oftentimes what happens is, people think sexuality and gender are the same thing. And so people will assume that when we say a lot of people are familiar with the term lesbian, gay, bisexual, and sometimes that gets conflated into the same thing as someone's gender identity. But those words, Mm -hmm. lesbian, gay, bisexual, are sexuality. It's who you're attracted to. So Mm -hmm. a lesbian is a woman attracted to a woman. A gay man is a man attracted to a man. Bisexual person is a person attracted to more than one gender. Um, Mm -hmm. that's different from your gender identity, right? So I Mm -hmm. might be, I am gender non-binary and my sexuality, you know, those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you for distinguishing that because people often don't realize that. So thank you for that education. I really appreciate that. Um, And just real quick, uh, to, to understand. Yeah, go ahead to understand the difference between sexuality and gender is really, it's about equal rights and making sure that, that trans people and non-binary people also are given equal rights because there's been, there's still more to go when it comes to lesbian and gay rights and issues as well, but there's been so much amazing work that has happened and it's also time to make sure that trans and gender non-binary people are also given fairness and equal rights and protection. Right. And there's a long way to go. And as we know, uh, sort of celebrity in the community was murdered in San Francisco of all places recently. So my heart goes out to all those who love them. Um, but we have made great strides um, nevertheless. But my question for you is why do you think people are so invested in there being these binary genders? Why do they get so agitated when somebody steps outside that? I think it's directly connected to sexism and directly connected Mm -hmm. to power, control, and patriarchy. So Mm -hmm. the system that we have right now privileges men. We've lived in a very sexist society here in the U.S. 
and really internationally at this point where men are being privileged and there's a system of power that's been in place for a really long time. And if you are able to question gender roles, gender identity, gender expression, then it questions the very power structure that we've been living into and operating from. And I think people are scared because if it turns out that gender is more expansive, then that means you're going to have to shift and address how power works and how control works in this country. And you have a lot of people that are not interested in doing that, that, are, that have a vested interest in maintaining their power and control. Right, and that parallels the white nationalist uprising that's going on politically in our country right now. Same kind of uh, background. Yes, it's very connected. People are very afraid of losing power. But in reality, Mm -hmm. a system of sexism and a system of racism harms everyone, no matter what your identity is. These systems actually harm the whole. Mm -hmm. Can you can you explain that just a little bit more? Why why does it harm people who already have privilege? Yeah, because while there, you know, I think some people also don't even realize that they hold privilege. Oftentimes, when you're in a place mm-hmm. of privilege, you don't realize what other people are experiencing. But mm-hmm. I, I believe that nobody benefits from being an oppressor. It's not a good experience to treat people with lack of humanity. It's not actually Mm -hmm. positive for your well-being as a human. And it's not actually Mm -hmm. positive to have privilege and control. Like, that's not, it's a much better world and a much better society when you are prioritizing diversity and when you're prioritizing everybody having their resources met and everyone being taken care of, you actually then create a better world in which, people can thrive and be successful and there's less harm because when you create a world where sexism and racism are the way they exist right now, then you have an entire world of violence is what's happening. Right. And violence Mm -hmm. is harmful to everybody. Nobody, nobody benefits from living in a very violent world. So the culture that we've created right now, people, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but people talk a lot about rape culture. So we exist Mm -hmm. in a rape culture right now where part of that is sexism, where it's like women have been devalued. The role of the feminine has been devalued. Anyone that presents or expresses as feminine is still in our culture considered less than and devalued. And so what you have happening is that this kind of devaluing leads to an allowance and an acceptance of high levels of violence. It leads to an allowance of trans women being killed. It leads to an allowance of women being raped. It leads to an allowance of domestic abuse and violence. And when you have people who are being violent, when you're in the oppressor role, that role is actually harmful to you as well. I mean, think about people coming back from war and PTSD. All of that is harmful to people on both sides. And it's a different Mm -hmm. kind of harm, right? It's a different, very different. The harm is very different, but it still exists. And so if you were Mm -hmm. to create a world in which you can get rid of sexism and racism and patriarchy, you would actually have everybody thriving and you would have more people being successful. You would have more love. You would have less fear. You would have less violence. You would have a culture with more creativity and more ability and things would just be better. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I do believe that we are at our core when we're born, we are designed more for collaboration and community and teamwork and partnership than we are competition and having power over. So it really goes against who we really are as human beings. 
um, to oppress people. So thank you for elaborating on that. It was very articulate. Okay, so I'm going to move on now and talk a little bit about your intersection of um, non-binary gender orientation with polyamory. So can you talk about how that shows up in your life and how you first came to realize that you were polyamorous? For sure. So I have been out and proud as polyamorous for over 10 years. Definitely been a major journey. I've coined a term called poly excellence, which is how I'm living my life and also worked a series of workshops and relationship coaching that I'm doing to help other people achieve poly excellence and live into poly excellence. And so what that is and what that means is Lots of people have many different definitions for what poly is, right? It, you know, that word is also an umbrella term. It covers anybody that is not doing a monogamous relationship. So that can mean you have one primary partner and you have sex with other people. That can mean that you have multiple non-hierarchical, deep, meaningful relationships and connections. Everyone has a different understanding of what poly is or isn't. And for me, the, what I'm trying to present to the world is poly excellence, which is really the concept of great communication, creating relationships that are solid and that are loving and that are honest and being real in everything that you do and being open about everything that you do so that there's no one that you're connecting with that didn't realize you were poly. Because what I've seen mm-hmm. is sometimes people say, oh, I'm poly, and you start dating them, but they haven't told their partner that they're dating you mm-hmm. or, right, they, you know, right. so it's like, actually you're not poly, you're cheating. Right. And so there's right, a big right. difference between you just, I think a lot of people want poly to be, Oh, you get to sleep with everyone. And it's like, you just have a ton of sex and it's so much fun. And I'm like, actually what poly really is, is deep communication, lots of conversations, really meaningful relationships. And yes, of course, hot sex also, but it's a lot of work. And so what I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get across to people in my relationship coaching and in my workshops is that poly excellence takes work and it's a lifetime commitment. It's something that you are consistently doing. It's not like you take one workshop and you arrive at poly excellence and you're done. It's actually lifetime of working on it. It's a commitment to consistently be working on your relationships and in relation to yourself as well. And so for me, you know, if you had met me, 11 years ago, I was not poly excellence. I was kind of, uh, part of my language for a second, I was kind of a poly shit show 11 years ago because <laughs> I, I didn't know what poly was, right? I grew up in, a, in New York, and where I grew up, even though I was in New York, which is a really multicultural, amazing space, I grew up not knowing the word poly. I grew up thinking that the only way to exist was monogamy and that there were no other options. So because I was presented no other options, All I knew is that I didn't fit into the model that I was being given, and so I kept doing things that pushed me out of that model, but I wasn't doing them well because I didn't have any resources. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any workshops that I could go to. I didn't have a relationship coach that I could go to. So, you know, 11 years ago, what I was doing um, was kind of experimenting and exploring without any context for it. So it wasn't the the best way of being. It ended up being hurtful to people because I wasn't able to communicate or express or say, you know, this is who I am. This is my identity. I'm poly. I love many people. I date many people. I'm in relationship with many people. 
and this is how to do that. And now, 11 years later, you know, I've put myself through multiple workshops and courses, and I, I am now teaching and coaching because I've hit a point where I understand how to do this and how to do it well so that people don't get hurt, but that people get to experience more love and more kindness and more connection and deep family. So for me now, I'm operating from a place of poly family where my lovers and my partners and my best friends, we all know each other and care about each other. And, and it's one solid thing versus 11 years ago, I was this independent person just trying to figure it out without a lot of vocabulary or knowledge. So of course it wasn't being done well. I think for anything to be done well, you need a context, you need support, you need a system, especially if you're doing something that's, you know, a little bit outside of what people consider mainstream, you're going to need a community to help you do it well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and yeah, that's what I tell my clients too, that I made all the mistakes for you. So you don't have to take as long as I did to figure it out. So people are lucky now that they have such a thing as open relationship coaches to, to help them. Um, we, we put in the time, I think, to uh, offer solutions for people to get it more quickly. Um, but exactly. I agree with you that, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the work I do, I think, also helps people that are monogamous. So the kind of coaching I do and the kind of workshops I present is really a lot about communication and that I've had people come to my poly workshops that are monogamous and they also gain a lot from it because really to me, poly excellence is communication excellence. Mm -hmm. Right. So what would you say to critics who say that, oh, polyamory is just so much processing? They don't want to, you mean they don't want to do that processing? Uh, there's a lot of criticism that that if you practice open relationship, you're just going to be processing all the time. So why would people Listen, want if you, to if you practice, be... If you practice any relationship, you need to be processing all the time. If you're in a monogamous relationship, <laughs> you need to be processing. If you're in a poly relationship, pro process is, it, it is a process. A relationship is a process. I think the mistake is that humans in the U.S., created this fairy tale, literally. Like, people are given fairy tales as a child. There's a, these fairy tales that you're told where it's like, and then they lived happily ever after. And you're like, what do you mean, then they lived happily ever after? It's like, actually, what they did forever after is communicated, worked on their relationship, had hard times, had challenging conversations, sat with each other, you know, explored together, worked together, overcame things together. Uh, the concept that you would just instantly at some point have it be really easy is just not true. And I think that that myth is actually what's really harmful to people, whether you're poly, open, monogamous, however you identify this myth that there is this happily ever after and that you don't work for that happily ever after is really harmful because yes, there is a happily ever after it's called you work for that and you work through that. And it's a constant process. Life and relationships is a constant process. If you're not processing, then there's something wrong. And, and also, obviously, if you're over-processing and if your whole relationship is processing and you're not having fun and you're not having hot sex, then, yes, there's also something wrong. But if, mm -hmm. you're, you know, if you're not able to sit down and have the hard conversations and look your partner in the eye or look your partners in the eye, then you're not doing the real work and it's not going to be a sustainable relationship. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think of it as we get to we get to process, we get to communicate, we get to um, share with each other our hearts because there's a beautiful place on the other side of that um, that 
comes to it, this purity of love that you don't have when you're sweeping stuff under the rug. So I think of it as a privilege. I agree. I definitely think it's a privilege. And, of course, we watch all these Hollywood movies where the couple gets together and they ride off into the sunset and they never show the hard work that goes into keeping that relationship together for more than six months. Mm-hmm. So the other topic that you mentioned was community, and I think that that's just so important in open relationship and non-monogamy that we have community because the default model of our society is monogamy, and the default uh, thinking is that there's something wrong with you if you want to be with more than one partner. So can you talk a little bit more about community and how someone new to open relationship can start to create community and maybe about how you've found your tribe that really gets you as a non-binary person. I think community is the most important thing because it gives you a context for your identity. So my identity is I'm poly, I'm non-binary, I'm queer. And when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't use those words because I didn't even know those words existed. So I still existed and I was still doing all those things, but I was doing them without kind of a backing. And as soon as I started meeting other people and the way to find community is wherever you are, you know, you know, Google, is there a meetup? Is there a workshop? Is there a party that I can attend? Is there a munch or a brunch or some kind of a hangout that I can go to where what I'm interested in exists? And that really works for anything, any identity you hold. Like you're, you might be non-binary, queer, poly. You might be into video games. Whatever it is that is your identity, if you want to find your community, kind of go to where you know your community is going to be and find those people and start making connections and ask questions and find out if, if there's people that are that have been doing this for longer that can mentor you because mentorship is an incredible way to get connected and to learn more about your own identity. It's a step further into your full self. And I am all about creating community. The work that I do is create community. So I'm constantly hosting events, parties, workshops to bring people together and to have people connect and show up for each other and Something that I love that comes out of my queer identity is the concept of a chosen family. So the concept of a chosen family is that, yeah, some of us have been given amazing biological families and some of us have not. I happen to have been super blessed up. My parents and my sister are amazing people. They're the reason I am what I am today. They're amazing, amazing, and I'm so thankful for them. And I also created a chosen family because I want people that fully understand my queerness and my gender identity. And a lot of the people in my chosen family, unfortunately, their biological families either don't approve or don't understand or don't want to show up for them. And so the chosen family becomes your root and becomes who you have in the world and who can help you and show up for you in hard times and who's there with you to celebrate in great times. And poly community is so important because you know for one fun thing is it gives us a space to figure out like who else is doing this and when you date for me I think it's actually really important I don't date monogamous people right if I if I hear that you're monogamous then I know that's not that's not going to work because I'm poly 
So that's not going to be a good match, right? So even if I want to talk about, like, where do I go to find people to date, I want to go to events that I know poly people are going to be at so that I'm finding people that are going to match up with me because I want to create something successful, right? I It wouldn't be a good match for me to start dating someone that's only interested in monogamy because I'm very committed to my poly identity. This is who I am. I've been out for a really long time, and I'm not about to to switch. <laughs> so... The, the idea of also having a community is it helps you find people that are doing the things that you want so that you can find good matches. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Arielle Vagosin, and she's an all-around go-getter in the field of sex education and um, teaching people about being more illuminated around uh, non-binary forms of gender expression. And we're talking about community right now. Um, Ariel, can you talk about your own personal practice of non-monogamy and how you mentioned the word polyfamily or the phrase polyfamily. And can you talk about why you chose that form? Because not everybody wants to be in a polyfamily. Some people just want to have separate dyads. Um, or they want to have a primary where you each just kind of do your own thing and come back home later. Um, but you've chosen more of the poly family model. So can you talk a little bit about why that feeds you and what your um, relationship structures look like now, right now in your life? For sure. So first I want to say that I think each person has to figure out for themselves what's going to work. And the the work that I do with people when I do relationship coaching is that it's not about me. It's really about what works for them. And so I support all different kinds of relationships. I think that poly works great for some people. I think monogamy works great for some people. I think everyone needs to figure out for themselves what's going to work best and how they want to create their structures and how they want to live into their relationships. I think the one unifying factor across whatever relationship style or model you choose is really excellent communication. And the work that I do is to teach people excellent communication skills. So for myself, I did choose a model where all of my relations are deeply connected and they know each other and they have some kind of a context of love for each other as well. And I chose that because I am really into integration. I'm really into people knowing each other. I'm really into community building. I'm really into radical inclusion. That's the work that I do in the world is bringing people together, getting people to know each other, supporting each other. And so for me, I wanted a model where um, whoever I'm, the many people that I'm dating would know each other and have some kind of a context for each other and care about each other. And for me, poly is not just about sex. And this is why I think monogamy is really interesting too, because what I always ask people when I'm coaching them is, what is your definition of poly? What is your definition of monogamy? Because oftentimes what we're really referencing for some people is sex, right? So when they're saying I'm monogamous, what they're really saying is, I've made a commitment to only have sex with this one person. Great. If that works for you, awesome. Do that. Live into that. What I'm curious about, though, is are you monogamous when it comes to your emotional connection? Are you, what else are you monogamous with this person on, right? Because you might have numerous best friends. That's a form of poly right there, even if you're only having sex with one person. So my Mm -hmm. form of poly is that it's not just about sex. The people that are 
key to me, the people that I'm prioritizing, is often not just who I'm having sex with. Um, I have a life partner, best friend, and we are a non-sexual life partner. So there's not, the sex is not the driving factor in that relationship. And, and that person is super important to me and will factor into every relationship I have, whether there's sex or not sex in that relationship. So I like to talk about the expansion around relationships to have people understand that some things are about sex and some things are not. And for me, when I use the word poly, part of my poly identity is that I think the way society is running right now is there's like this priority on sexual relationships. So people prioritize marriage, right? Like literally people who get married get tax benefits and breaks and health care, right? And if you're married, Mm -hmm. it's this assumption that you have a plus one, right? So if you were married and I'm inviting you to a party, the the obvious thing is, of course, your partner, you know, that's, that's who gets to come with you to the party. And where I stand right now is I want people to realize that that's great. People who are married, that's a beautiful relationship. I support you in that. But should that really be more prioritized than me and my best friend? I don't think so. So I think that, to me, relationships that matter are not just sexual. Yes, I have very important relationships where sex is a huge part of it, and that's important too. But my best friendships are very, very important to me, and those people are dear to me, and those people are a key part of my poly family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, that we can choose a life partner who's not necessarily a lover. We have that freedom. There's no law against it. <laughs> hmm And so do you have someone that you consider a primary sexual partner, or do you consider yourself more of a relationship anarchist, or what labels do you use? I think all the labels are very interesting. So there is, you know, I just want to explain to people in case you have listeners that are like, what's polyanarchy or what's a primary partner so for some people the way they do their poly is they have a primary partner and that person has priority over other partners or over other lovers and that person they are consistently checking back in with and it means that say if a new lovership is starting and it doesn't work for that primary that primary partner would have a say so that would definitely impact the other relationships that are starting versus a more polyanarchy there's a little bit more freedom. Um, people might not be interested in a hierarchical dynamic. I know a lot of people that don't. the hierarchy doesn't work for them. They don't want to have just one person that exists as their primary and receives all that priority. They would rather it be that all of their lovers or all of the people that they are dating, all of their partners are seen as equal and have you know equal context and equal say in what's happening. And for mm-hmm. me, where I'm at right now um, is – I'm interested in in really creating communication styles that, that – so where I'm at, again, is I think it's kind of a, a, yet a third choice maybe. So it's like if there's polyanarchy and there is um, primary partners, really what I'm doing is poly excellence. And so what that looks like for me is that I want to date and I am engaging with people that have high levels of communication that consider themselves well-seasoned and prepared to to exist in a polydynamic and are open to dialogue and conversations and communication and working to figure out what's going to work for the whole and for all of us. So it's probably someplace kind of in between this concept of like primary or anarchy. It's more of like I'm seeking 
Excellent. So are you willing to engage and communicate? And I think I have a high level of openness for what's possible and capable in my relationships. And for me, the people that I'm already connected to, I will consistently communicate and check in with them and create something that's going to work for all of us. So that's what I mean when I say poly excellence. And for me, poly family is what I'm striving for is all of my deep intimate intimacies and my intimate ones to feel connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty and vulnerability around that. So um, let's talk a little bit about some of these uh, communities that you've created. You, you mentioned the gender illumination community. Um, you also started something called Gender Blender and Sexual Liberation Collective. What are those? Great. So Gender Illumination, just I'm going to break down all three of these things. Gender Illumination is a nonprofit. You can find us at genderillumination.com. And the work we do is we teach gender inclusivity trainings. We run a mentorship program. So the gender inclusivity trainings and the consulting, that's where we go into corporations, nonprofits, places of faith, healthcare providers, and schools, and we teach how to be gender inclusive. We teach everything from your actual infrastructure, you know, your bathrooms, your physical location, into how do you create workplace safety, how do you do the nitty-gritty of pronouns and communication styles. That's what the trainings are. That's what the consulting work is. Then we have a mentorship program. So if you identify as trans or non-binary or genderqueer or non-conforming and you are looking to have a mentor, because I think mentorship is a key important aspect of being able to step in and coming out in your identity, especially for young people, we have a program right now where we, you can go on our website and you can either request to be a mentor or request to be mentored and we'll partner you. So that's on genderillumination.com. And then the third thing that we do that is super unique is ritual. So I'm an ordained priestess in the Jewish tradition, in part of Kohenet tradition. And part of what we offer is not just for Jewish people, but really we have a multi-faith experience going on because there's lots of people connected to gender illumination from multiple faith perspectives. And we do rituals for people that want to do name changes, name change rituals, stepping into your identity ritual, and also helping faith organizations shift their rituals to be more inclusive. So rituals that already exist, whether that's your coming of age ritual or your marriage ritual, how do we make sure that those rituals and services are inclusive? So that's what gender illumination does. That's what that work is. Beautiful. And then you have, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great. It's an amazing organization. The work that's happening is super powerful. And then you have Gender Blender. So Gender Blender has existed for nine years. We started in 2009. And Gender Blender is a community of people that identify as trans and genderqueer and bending and blending and exploring and drag kings and queens and theatrical people and people that are interested in teaching workshops and doing anti-oppression facilitation and we run a burning man theme camp every year so we actually just got back from burning man which is a huge 70,000 person festival in the desert of black rock city so we have a, a burning man camp there we also have been hosting safer space play parties here in oakland 
And what that looks like is a play, a play party for people who are listening in that have never heard that word before. A play party is a space where you can come and you can play, meaning have sex or explore or just talk or dance, but that sex is a part of the, the space. And we do this in an incredibly safe, consensual way. We have a, a really strong community and we have a strong opening ceremony that happens before anyone's allowed to play in our space. We insist on safer sex, both emotionally and physically, and consent is paramount for you to even be in the space. And that's something that's super is a super unique offering from Gender Blender is creating these kinds of safer sex space parties. And to do that in a way that prioritizes the trans and gender queer community and any marginalized community. So the people that are front and center that are often to the margins in other spaces and in our play spaces, they're actually um, the center. So a lot of times trans and gender queer people are put to the edges in our play spaces, they're put to the center. So that's the work that Gender Blender is doing. We also do um, educational workshops, and we also create spaces for people to come and expand and explore their own gender. So that's the work that we do both at Burning Man and beyond Burning Man. We're running workshops and events in the Bay Area and play parties in Oakland. And that's Gender Blender. And the next piece, yeah, right? It's amazing. It's a lot of work. And it's beautiful. And the community is very strong and, and wonderful and really shows up for each other far beyond Burning Man. We we have an amazing time together at Burning Man and we build a beautiful camp and we create awesome anti-oppression workshops and we create a trans support group on Playa and we also do that work off Playa. For me, it's very important that Gender Blender exists not just for one week in the desert, but year round as a real community that shows up and supports each other. And this year uh, at Burning Man, we were super blessed to have another camp called Transformation be really inspired by the work of Gender Blender. And they are a 300-person theme camp that also took on the theme of gender liberation because they were so inspired by the work that Gender Blender was doing. And they created a beautiful, beautiful art that talks about the Stonewall riots, that talks about um, trans equality. They had the rainbow flag and the trans flag, and they had this beautiful art pieces describing gender liberation and they had this beautiful um you know front front of their house where you would walk through and get an education around how to be more gender expansive and for me that was really exciting because i could see yeah oh were they also from the bay area or were they from another city um no they're they're from they're 300 people and so they have people coming from san diego some people are from the bay but they're not they're not a bay area based community Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're kind Interesting. of they're they're a huge theme camp called Transformation, and mm-hmm. awesome. they, I yeah, I just was completely my heart was really open to see that other people are are invested in this theme as well, and other people are taking gender liberation seriously and want to do this work with us. That to me is a mark of real success when you've grown big enough that other people want to work do this work with you. And so if somebody was attracted to um, checking out the community, would they go to the website to um, maybe get a, interviewed or an orientation or something? How do you um, vet yeah, people you, for the community? Would, for sure. You would go online to genderblenders.org, and you could check out our website there. And we also have a Facebook group 
Um, and I also, people could also contact me directly through email. On my email, it's Ariel Mintwood, A R I E L M I N T W O O D at gmail.com. And we do vet people to be in our community. And that is part of how you create a safer space is we want to make sure that, you know, nobody is here to harm, but that everyone is here to show love and respect and support. And we do have conversations with each person before they become a member of our community. Perfect. Great. Thank you. Okay. And then uh, the, the Sexual Liberation Collective. The Sexual Collective. Liberation Collective. Yeah. So the Sexual Liberation Collective is an amazing group of sex educators and healers and we serve to do workshops in, in the community. We've done amazing workshops at Sex Down South, which is a conference in Atlanta. We've done great workshops at Creating Change, which is the National Gay and Lesbian and Transgender Task Force. We've done, that's a huge conference that I have. It's about 4,000 people every year that go to Creating Change, and we've hosted numerous workshops there. And we, as a collective, we, it's two, the mission is twofold. One part of the mission is that we serve to support each other. So we are all independently doing this work as sex educators and as healers. We're all doing the work and coming together to support each other in that work. And then the other mission that we have is that we create specific sex, sex liberation collective workshops that then get put, up, put on at conferences and events throughout the U.S. And pretty soon, who knows, maybe even internationally. Right now, we're just based in the U.S. And this, being a part of this collective has been incredible. It's been really wonderful to have this kind of support, to be able to have a network of other educators that I'm a part of. And it's also been very powerful to co-produce work. And the Sexual Liberation Collective also prioritizes people's voices that are often marginalized, so people of color, trans people, and it's been very wonderful to work in that kind of a community that is prioritizing those who are often on the margins. And you could check mm -hmm. out our work at sexualliberationcollective.com. Perfect. Okay. And then um, when I introduced you, I read um, your bio said uh, the phrase playing with pronouns. Can you talk a little bit more about pronouns? Because I'm, I'm hearing that more and more and it feels cumbersome in our language at first. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the subject of pronouns? Pronouns are super important. And pronouns do not have to be hard. It's actually easy. Most people are familiar with the concept of pronouns because we learn it as a really young, in terms of, you know, when you learn language, no matter what language you're using, there's often pronouns. Some languages actually, I think, don't have pronouns. And some languages have a plural pronoun for everyone. If you're you know, learning English as a young person, then from a very early age, you are given the concept of a pronoun, which is a way to refer to somebody without their name. So that has become a gendered experience, right? Our language, first of all, language is always shifting and changing. So when people say to me, oh, pronouns are so hard, I'm like, pronouns are not hard. We are an evolving, being human means that you will be an evolving experience. And language is evolving and our culture evolves. There are words that 30 years ago didn't exist that we use now because we have technology that didn't exist, right? So if you were going back 30 mm -hmm. years ago, the words Facebook, Twitter, iCloud, these words didn't exist. So when people mm -hmm. say, oh, pronouns are so hard or using a gender neutral pronoun or using a plural pronoun is so hard, 
I'm like, actually, that's just not true. We're smart. We're intelligent humans. We've learned new words over time. We can figure out how to pronoun people correctly. And it matters because that's the personal's that person, it's their emotional well-being and their physical well-being is at stake. So if you misgender someone or mispronoun someone, their physical safety might literally be at jeopardy. Their emotional safety is 100% at jeopardy. And why would you do that when it's pretty simple? If somebody says to you, I use he as a pronoun, use he as a pronoun with that person. If somebody says, I use she, use she. If somebody says my pronoun is they or them, use they or them. If someone says, I use the pronoun Z, then use that pronoun. Even if you're even if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I didn't even know Z was a word. I didn't know Z was a pronoun. It's so challenging. <laughs> well, guess what? You know, ten years ago maybe you didn't say the word Instagram either and you say that word now like it's no big deal. You're not like, it's so hard. You you got with the program. So my thing uh-huh. is people need to just step up, get with the program, pronoun people correctly. I don't have tolerance for this idea that it's too hard to pronoun somebody correctly. Pronouns are very important. They matter to people. Mm-hmm. It's it can be a matter of life or death. If I'm if someone gets mispronounced, they could be at jeopardy of their safety. There's you know a high rate of violence right now, especially against trans women and especially against trans women of color. That community faces a lot of violence. There's been a lot of murders, and mispronouncing someone can you know lead to actual harm. And so for me, it's while I you know there's. I really practice making sure that I'm saying other people's pronouns correctly and making sure that people have the ability to do that and the tools to do that. So part of my education work is teaching workshops on pronouns, giving people the tools that they need to be able to to do this work. And when I say that I'm playful with pronouns, what that means for me is that I actually really enjoy being called multiple pronouns. And so what I'm requesting is that people say, wow, I listened to Ariel's radio interview. He was talking about gender. She was, you know, describing her poly relationships. They were talking about their organization, Gender Illumination. So that's my favorite thing is when people can use multiple pronouns for me because I have a multiple gender identity that I exist into. And because I enjoy being playful, I like to play with my pronouns. That's what I'm doing. So for people to pronoun me correctly, they would use multiple pronouns. For somebody else, Mm -hmm. they only have one pronoun, and it's important to get that one pronoun correctly. Yeah. I find it not so hard to use the the pronoun that the person requests, but when I'm listening to someone else talking and they're using they, um, it takes a minute for me to follow them because I think they're talking about a group of people and I just wish there was a pronoun that we could use that wasn't plural, like Z or my favorite book is Woman on the Edge of Time. Have you heard of this book? Tell me about the book. It's called Woman on the Edge of Time by Marge Piercy. And I don't think it's in print any longer, but there's used copies available out there. And in that book, there's no gender. Everyone is just called per, which is short for person. So if people want to read a utopian novel where there's a world where everyone's just per (laughs) and it doesn't matter what their gender is, that's an interesting example of it. So I like that idea, but it never caught on in our society. I, I find that often people choose to be called they, and it's confusing for me when I'm listening to someone talk about that person because I, I think, wait, who are you talking about, they? Oh, yeah. You know, it just takes a minute to 
follow the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Something that's really interesting is that the English language, other languages actually have plural pronouns. That's a normal experience. So there's other languages that are not English where they, them, or a plural pronoun is normal. And that's people are not having to do this work that you're talking about right now of being like, is that a singular person or is that multiple people? Because the plural pronoun is used for a single person and that's a normal experience. Mm -hmm. So for me, when Mm -hmm. I talk about gender, I think intersectionality is really important, which it, which means that I'm paying attention to the fact that, you know, it's also a very Western English concept to say that gender needs to be singular because if you exist in a different culture, it was never singular and they, them is a normalized experience. So it's very U S centric mm-hmm. to be like, this is challenging. And I will say, you know, I hear what you're saying that, you know, if it's ingrained in you that they, them is plural and now we're using it for a singular. And for me, what I'll say is, again, it gets into being like, this is an evolving language and what we we've evolved our grammar over time. We've shifted things. We've changed things. We don't talk the way people talk. Even, even if you think about English as a language, if you were to think about how people spoke during Shakespeare's time versus how people speak now, it's incredibly different. And if you go, mm-hmm. you know, 150 years from now, people might listen to this conversation and they're going to be like, I don't know what some of those words are, or I don't know what that slang is, or that's not the proper grammar. And for mm-hmm. us at this time, it all, you know, we're operating in what we know and what makes sense. And so what I would encourage people to do is just to, to get expansive in your thought frame and to think, okay, this person is not using male pronouns. They're not using female pronouns. They are using they, them. That's what's happening. So I'm going to back that up and understand in my head that they, them can be a singular word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it just comes down to kindness. You know, do we want to be kind and help someone feel seen and cared about and loved? Is it really that hard to be kind if you have to stretch your mind and your vocabulary a little bit to be kind to someone it's not that hard. so. <laughs> of course not. And it's also language as a creation. We created it to be one way. We can create it to be another way, right? We have decided mm-hmm. as humans what words are harmful and what words are hurtful. And we've changed these words over time. There's like actual words that people don't use anymore. And there are words that we do use. And we are consistently reassigning meanings. So grammar has changed over time. We, we are consistently changing grammar. And grammar changes based on what piece of culture you're from anyway. So mm-hmm. it's actually, it, I think when people say it's challenging to me, I'm like, well, what does that really mean? Why, why does it have to be challenging? Can you, you know, like it's not that hard to say they, them. Right. Well, Ariel, we're about out of time, and so I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you and anything else you want to share about your work, and I believe you also have an offer. Um, But before we do that, I just want to say that I, again, really appreciate the work that you're doing, um, the energy that you have behind it and the passion it really shows, and the way you're able to articulate these concepts for people who may not have learned about it before. You're a great educator. Just thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I want to also really appreciate you. I want to appreciate that you're doing this radio show, and I want to appreciate the relationship work you do in in terms of your open relationship coaching. I just really want to honor you and appreciate you as well. 
Thank you. And so go ahead and tell us about how people can reach you and anything else you want to say about your work and if you have an offer. Great. So the way to reach Gender Illumination is Gender Illumination, I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, genderillumination.com. And that is if you're interested in gender inclusivity trainings, consulting, mentorship, or ritual, that's the place to go, genderillumination.com. And if you are interested in the work that I do in terms of sex education, you can check out the sexualliberationcollective.com. If you want to be a member of Gender Blender, you could go to genderblenders.org. And I want to offer and that's especially, plural, so gender word, blenders. I just want to say that's plural gender blenders with an S on the end. Yes, genderblenders.org. And if you, I want to offer a special gift because I, I feel really blessed that I got to be on this radio show, which is that I'm starting a new curriculum, like I was saying at the beginning of this show, called Poly Excellence, which is a series of workshops and relationship coaching. And if that sounds interesting to you, and this could be that you identify as poly or monogamous, it's open to people of any background. Uh, it's called poly excellence. It's really a focus on communication excellence. And if you think that this would help your relationship, help you learn more about yourself, then I'm offering a free 15-minute consultation. So if that's something that's interesting and exciting to you, you can reach me at Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, Mintwood, M-I-N-T-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. So arielmintwood at gmail.com. And let me know that you heard about this on this particular radio show. So you have to reference this radio show. And let me know that you're interested in the Poly Excellence Workshops Curriculum and Relationship Coaching. And I'll give you a 15-minute free consultation. Perfect. That's very generous of you. Thank you. Okay, well, Ariel, thanks again for being on the show, and I hope you'll, you'll come back uh, sometime in the future and let us know how it's all going. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. Okay, have a great evening. Bye-bye. Thanks, you too.